Uh, good morning. Speaking of the things that we wanted, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, it's coming home. There you go. There you go. I, this is the first for me. I have never preached a sermon on a Sunday that England won a national football tournament. I have never done that. So this is really special. I am going to absolutely enjoy it. I'm going to milk it, but we will be done in time to watch the football. Um, so don't worry about that. Uh, hopefully some of you know that we're gathering in the park for a picnic afterwards. If you haven't brought your picnic, just come and Andrew will have enough to share, although we can't do that at the moment. But his heart is big enough to share all of his food with you. Um, speaking of form, you've just heard that we are excited about form. Uh, there, there would be no better track to do than getting stuck in for the 20 hours than transform ministries. We've had so many discipleship year students over the years, and it is packed full of opportunities to learn and to grow to be involved in Bible studies amongst the community that we love around us. Uh, some of those who are people of faith, some of those who are hungry for food, some who are just hungry for fellowship when food is happening. There's such a richness. So if you were going to choose any track, Jay would say worship. He's wrong. It's actually the transform one. Others might say kids. They would be wrong as well because transform track is absolutely amazing. So if you're watching this online, if you're considering suggesting it to someone, uh, an, uh, an 18 to 29-year-old, Time to choose, transform. They will not regret it. Who's ready to read the Bible? Who's ready to play Pac-Man? We're going to be doing both of those in the next 20 minutes. So uh, let's get excited. Let's see where we get to. We are looking at Feast of Grace. We've just come out of a... If you're uh, new here, this is your first time. You're super, super welcome. Welcome well done for getting through the door. Um, if I remember your names, then great. But well done for learning others. Just, yeah, you're super welcome. Um, we, we, we've done this hospitality series, and, and now we're just, over the next four weeks, just doing some these feasts of grace, some, uh, learning some amazing times that Jesus does some amazing things uh, in people's homes, around food. Uh, and our, our passage today, in case you're wondering, if you want to flick to it, is in uh, Luke 7. And we're going to be turning to that in a, a little bit. But I just want to give you the, a little bit of the context of this, of this passage. Uh, Luke, who was, who was writing it, uh, writing, wanted to really make clear um, all that Jesus was about. He wanted to put together this, this gospel, this truth. He wanted to c- combine this story of Jesus all together. And so he did all sorts of interviews, and he gathered this place. The Holy Spirit inspired him, and he wrote this, this book, and he wrote um, Acts. And there's a real sense in this, in this book of, of a, a kind of social justice theme. That's one of Luke's themes. It's one of his priorities in what he's shaping so, and what he's sharing of. And there's also a priority around the importance of faith. And we'll see both those themes in this chapter that we're looking at in this passage around, around social justice. Because there was a whole bunch of people who kind of were in a world where social climbing, social status was even more prevalent than perhaps you might experience here. So much of, of, of where you could be, where you could go, who you could sit with, who you spoke to, all of that was a real deal. Uh, and so Jesus comes along and kind of smashes down a lot of those kind of s- the social fabric of the day. A lot of the kind of ways that people would treat people as lesser, whether it's slaves, whether it's women, whether it's Gentiles, whether it's people of different faiths. Jesus just, just threw the book out on, and said, look, 
It doesn't, it doesn't work like that anymore. And then people accepted Jesus, and then they just started to get back into their old habits of social climbing. They kind of tacked Jesus on and said, yeah, we love Jesus. We love what he's done. I like that. I want to be a Jesus follower. And then they got stuck into their old habits of, of having systems and people and, and, and who was at the table and who wasn't at the table. Uh, and and Luke's, Luke's trying to remind them of Jesus' story, how he lived, the way that he interacted, and so that's something of the, of the context. We're going we're gonna to read through from, from Luke 7. It's going to be on the screen. You might want to have it in your Bible. Um, if we could have that on the screen, please, Jonathan, that would be great. It's not on the screen. Don't worry. We will not have it on the screen. We're just going to read it. I'm going to read it, and you'll just have to trust me. If you've got a Bible, grab your Bible. I've got one. We're reading from 36 right through to to verse 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This is quite a, it's quite a powerful moment here. Quite a powerful moment as Jesus has been welcomed into the Pharisee's house. And then this lady comes in. Uh, some people were, would have been offended by this, and, and we'll read on in, in just a moment. Uh, the reality is, in, in those social cir- circumstances and settings, it would have been, there would have been a kind of open door. Okay, Jesus is welcomed into the Pharisee's house, but it wasn't like no one else could come. But if you did come in, you were expected to just kind of sit at the side. You might sneak in at the back, particularly if you were of a social standing or if you were known to be sinful. So the shocking thing in this isn't that the woman comes and sits, you know, comes to engage and perhaps learn something, but that she doesn't just stay on the edges. She finds herself desperate enough to come into the middle. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, verse 39, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Don't you just love it when Jesus has got something to tell you? I don't know if... My ears prick up when Jesus has got something to tell me. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and gives him a little seminar in worship. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. 
Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a passage. What a passage of scripture for us to dwell on, open, read again when you get home. Uh, I hope that there are many people in this room who know what it is to have their sins forgiven. To have the stuff that would otherwise inhibit us from connection with a Father in heaven who loves us. To have that completely forgiven and dealt with on the cross. That's the richness that we know. In this passage, in this moment, that's quite a shocking thing. To have someone say, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if the people who were asking, who is this who even forgives sin? I wonder if they were disturbed theologically, or I wonder if they were hungry at the thought that that might be possible for them. This, um, this passage is it's, it's just visually it's quite striking. Jesus being hosted by a Pharisee, and we have this perception of Pharisees as the kind of the bad guys. Boo, if this was a pantomime, we'd be going, boo, the Pharisees, boo. Hey, the sinful woman. Um, there is something of that. Because we get grace and because we're this side of the cross, and, and if, you've, if you've been around church long enough, you know that, that Jesus loves to flip the world up, upside down and, and, and change things because we sometimes get it the wrong way up. But the Pharisees would have been well-respected. This is a respected home, a well-respected home of someone who was religiously zealous, zealous for God, wanted to do the right thing. Are you this morning the kind of person who wants to do the right thing, doesn't want their connection with God to be hindered? And this example of someone who would hinder their connection, all through the Old Testament there are, there are rituals. The whole book of Leviticus is, is about how to stay pure, as life throws you all sorts of stuff, as you come into contact by accident with a dead person or as something in some different way that you end up losing that purity. This is how to stay pure so that you can please God and stay connected with God. And so there's something important about that for the Pharisees. There was a real, there was a real priority around ritual purity. They did not want to be seen with or touch or come into contact because that meant a whole load of stuff atonement it meant sacrifice it meant faff if some of you know the story of the the good samaritan there's a whole bunch of religious leaders pass by the man who'd been beaten up on the floor because to help him would have been a inconvenient but it also would have affected their purity before they went to church what did you miss out on on your way to church, on your way to connect with God, in your enthusiasm and passion to be with God this morning? What stuff did you miss out on because it would have been inconvenient or it might have affected you? We don't have the same worries, I think, because of the faith in Jesus Christ. We're not worried about ritual purity, I hope, because we know that it is, our lives are hidden with Christ. But maybe there's other ways that we're inconvenienced. And the Pharisees were basically playing a whole bunch of Pious Pac-Man. So we're going to get um, Pac-Man up on the screen. I've challenged Jamie to do his best uh, playing a little bit of Pac-Man. So I want you to cheer him on. Jamie's just back from holiday. Let's see how he goes. Jamie, go for it. Okay, he's going around. If you don't know the, the game of Pac-Man, you go around. Once you've eaten those little gold dots, the ghosts are edible. Yes, 200 points. Come on. 
I think he had the thing too early because some of the ghosts are still in there. Anyway, oh, he's been chased. Stand by. Anyone panicking? Yeah, he is good. Were you practicing? Oh, he got touched by the sinful woman. I mean, he got eaten by the ghost. Sorry. Um, yeah, now he's got some. Oh, he's got superpowers. Let's see. Yes. Oh, oh. steady on. Steady on. Come on, England. Oh, sorry. Wrong, wrong concept. Yes, 200. How long do we want to do this for, Jamie? You enjoying it? Yeah, I think the people on the live stream are loving it. They're like, what, what is this website? Can I, can I just do this myself? Oh, oh, he's mad. Oh, right, Jamie, I think I'm just jealous now. Can we stop? Is that all right? <laughs> well done to Jamie, everyone. Um, a little illustration of the life of a Pharisee. Uh, basically, in... <laughs> Uh, I jest, but, the, <laughs> but sometimes, it, maybe you've acted like that in a, I don't know, in a supermarket sometime, when there's someone you know from church or not, who you know you just don't want to have that conversation with, or you're trying to avoid, there are people that you're avoiding because it's inconvenient, or because, I don't know, you got into an argument with them once, whatever the reasons, there is a way of working that Jesus just didn't work, he wasn't trying to run away from people and I also I just there is a reality that because of the way our hearts work we can be offended by someone else's offering someone else does a beautiful offering to God in worship and we're offended by it because it challenges what we are lacking and, and it's much easier it's much easier for us to be offended by the messenger than, than have to do, receive the message. Does that make sense? If God wants to really speak to you this morning and the enemy wants to hold you back, he might just say, how, how can you hear from God from someone with a haircut like that? Do you know what I mean? There'll be some reason or, or there might be, he, he, the enemy would love to fuel offense in you when it comes to some catalyst of the, for the kingdom where you would grow to know Jesus more or grow to reflect him more. And this is what we see in this passage, is this Pharisee has, has seen an outrageous display of worship. I mean, we're talking J-level right here. Do you know what I mean? J's our worship pastor, that's why that was funny. Um, <laughs> outrageous level of worship that this woman has done. And she knows so well her mess. She knows the mess that she brings, but she knows the message is one of Jesus who forgives and has redeemed. She has really got to this social justice faith deal that Jesus is living differently and modeling something different. She's clocked it. And yet this Pharisee is looking and knows her history and just is offended. He's offended by the offering. It happens all the way through uh, Scripture where we focus on the manner rather than the message. The manner in which something's done offends someone. How can, Jesus, aren't you going to tell your 
disciples off for picking corn on the Sabbath. Or aren't you? There's this whole dynamic that happens in, in one of the Gospels where someone's healed on the Sabbath and the whole synagogue erupt and all these people who are pursuing God are like really offended that just salvation happened on a particular day. We can, we can miss the message because of the manner in which it's delivered. And so Jesus says to the Pharisee in this passage, this, this woman has worshipped me in some very significant ways. And actually, you're the one left short in this. In this interaction, it's you who've missed out. I wonder whether God might say that to us a little bit. I wonder who the poor are in our current situation, in your, in your circles, in the way that you're interacting. In Luke's day, it wasn't necessarily people who were financially not well off. It might have been those who, uh, or widow, or someone who poor choices had meant difficulties in their life. It, was, it, was, it wasn't just around access to finance. But Jesus, in hosting the seemingly wealthy, is accessed by the hungry. And the good news for us this morning is that Jesus is ready with a feast for those who are hungry. If I was speaking to this Pharisee today, you know what I would talk to him about? I would, this Pharisee, you know what he needs? He needs communion. They didn't have that then. We have it now. But I would just have sat him down and gone, look, the brokenness of the bread, take it. Remember that Jesus was broken for you. The blood poured out in atonement, covering all your sin and all the mess and the sin of the people you're worshiping with. Take it, share this food together and remember what I have done. Remember the grace that you live in and walk in so that you don't have to look to the left and the right and see who might be affecting your social standing or your connection with the, with the God you are serving. But I also told him to go home and read Galatians. Because Galatians is just packed full of a message from Paul to another bunch of people who were getting, trying to bring the gospel back into a Judaism that was about works. And, and in this passage we see that worship takes precedence. Worship is, is the richness. I'm, I'm just going to read from, from Galatians actually going to read from Galatians chapter 6 just to mess with the team I'm reading from um, sorry chapter 4 verse 8 formerly when you did not know God you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods but now you know God or rather unknown by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You've done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? 
could have said that to the Pharisee. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. There's zealousness. There's, there's such a devotion and a passion. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that, may they, so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Some strong words. Some strong words. And you can imagine there's a similar emphasis from Jesus as he speaks to this Pharisee in this passage. I'm perplexed that you are trying to observe certain ways and routines and doing rather than remembering that there is a grace poured out for you. There is a grace poured out for you. Our striving in relationship with God will be really offended by grace. If you are striving in your relationship with God, when you see the grace poured out on someone else, you might really be offended. Because you're trying to earn God's salvation. You're doing the older brother in the prodigal son story. Where you're so offended that there's a celebration happening somewhere else for someone else. And yet you had access to it all along. Why, why does this matter? I think I'm, I'm starting to repeat myself. And um, we've got a football game to watch. Some of you are like, I'm not even bothered about the football. Just keep preaching, David. This is awesome. I know. I know. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Um, we need to land this. There's, there's such a, a, a priority about worship in this passage. Worship is, is a real priority. I'm going to say this. Work out your salvation from worship. Don't worship your salvation from work. That's what the Pharisee is trying to do. He's trying to worship salvation. I've managed to get myself saved from how well I've done in my Pac-Man piety. Whereas this woman is worshipping. She's figuring out what it means to be saved from a place of worship, from a place of devotion to the Father. And the reason that this is important and the reason this is precious is because there's a whole bunch of people who need us to host Jesus well so they can be rescued from their sin. I want to ask this question. How desperate do the sinful in our community have to be to come to Jesus in this place? Is this a place where people would feel welcome and where we can host Jesus? Or are we like the Pharisees where we're expecting people to stay on the edge until they've got stuff all together and right? At the moment, there's some really rich elements of our, our worshiping community in, in King's Table, a, a, a meal that we celebrate on a Friday and a Monday that anyone from the community is welcome to come to. We get a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, many of whom have quite chaotic lifestyles. And it's so precious to sit and eat with them. And it's so precious to open the word of God with them. The problem is that feels quite separate from our worshipping and our gathering. It happens on Mondays and Fridays. I'd love for that to happen at different points in the, in the week. But would we be ready? Or would we be Pac-Man 
to the people who, who, who just long for the presence of Jesus? Would we be just trying to avoid the discomfort and the uncomfortable? Or can we be a communion people who are eating of the broken bread, aware of the poured out blood of Jesus, feasting ourselves and reminding again and again that we are those who have been rescued and have been saved and have been redeemed so that we can take delight when that same grace is poured out. Imagine if that Pharisee had gone, wow, that's what you did for me, Jesus. You welcomed me. You allowed me to worship at your feet. Wow. And now you're doing this to a sinful woman. I know my sin. I've got my sin a little bit more covered than she has. My sin isn't notorious sin. My sin is happy Christian sin. She's the kind of, wow. What if you were the person at the end going, who is this who, who, who forgives sins? I'm excited about that. What if someone came in to our midst, saw the way that we treated the broken and the lost and the hungry, and said, wow, there must, is there a Jesus in that midst who could even accept me? Because you know and I know that there's a whole world around us who don't feel accepted, don't feel worthy, wouldn't necessarily say that, and you wouldn't know it from their media feeds. But the idea that there is a, a, a king of kings who loves them, accepts them, and welcomes them to a table is outstanding. Let's not miss that because of the manner in which that message might happen or because we've lost the reality of the Holy Spirit in us so that we can go to the people who are broken and the lost. And we can also invite God into our own brokenness and our own loss. Amen. Amen.